0: Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Influence on your money with Money FM 89.3. You're an influence with me, Michelle Martin, the show that encourages you to meet movers and shakers all over the world. Today I'm taking you to the Future Grail Watch Museum. It actually opens really soon here in Singapore, and we'll be hosting the world's first online, fractionalized auction of high-end watches. They'll also offer tax-free storage vaults. This museum is not only going to help collectors build investment-grade collections, it's going to allow members of public to browse a rare collection of over 200 historical pieces, some dating back to the 1800s. Future Grail was started by a well-known watch collector and investor Ali Nail, who serves as CEO, and we're going to get to know him today on Influence. We're live on facebook linkedin youtube in case you're just listening to us and you'd like to to watch ali in action now's the time to log on to any one of those social media platforms good morning ali nile
1: Good morning, Michelle. Thank you for having me this morning. It's
0: really great to meet you. Um, I want to give listeners a little sense of who you are. I know you came to Singapore back in 2010. And besides an oil trading business, you've also started numerous other businesses. You're originally from Beirut. Would you describe yourself as a self-made man?
1: Of course, uh, by all means, by all uh, understanding. Uh, I started actually from nothing in uh, in China in uh, 2003. And this is how I I established myself, you know, if you want to know the story, I can say a little bit, but I think uh, everyone knows that I started 20 years ago in China doing an export market and uh, opened an office in 2006 in Kuala Lumpur, uh, where I did my first oil trading deal. And then 2010, I moved to Singapore to establish my company here as the head office.
0: So let me back up just a little bit. What brought you from Beirut to China?
1: Well, it was by luck going uh, to vacation in Macau, but I decided to actually stay and I started learning about uh, trading, about export market in China and do some research. And I decided to basically just stay and uh, and try, uh, you know, my very best to build uh, an export business, you know, to countries where I had some friends that can uh, open those door- doors for me. And this is how I kick-started, basically by mistake.
0: Oh, love that. So, <laughs> so that first export business, uh, were you passionate in what was being exported?
1: Uh, not uh, necessarily, but uh, I think I had a very clear goal that I wanted to establish. I wanted to build knowledge in, uh, in the products I was uh, exporting at that time from China. Which were? Uh, so, I made sure, actually, everything from construction material to sanitary wares to you know, electrical appliances. Actually, slowly we grew to different different products. You know, and then we opened different departments to to handle these flows to West Africa and the Middle East. And this is how I started. But 2006, uh, I managed to deliver the first oil uh, cargo to China. And I fell in love with that business Uh, and I decided Kuala Lumpur was a perfect uh, place for me to establish uh, an office. So I left the the China office open, of course, for like almost 19 years. But I moved to Kuala Lumpur. Uh, I think it was a more friendly city for me as well to establish myself.
0: We're always fascinated by uh, people's experiences across the world. Tell us, did your early experience growing up in Beirut contribute to the businesses that you would start later in life?
1: Uh, definitely. I think I thank my father at probably the age fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, the serious talk. Uh, you know, with us, he said uh, his business was faltering. You know, can you walk? Uh, uh, you know, work on the uh, on summertime. So we decided actually around that age to uh, work uh, in summertime in our free time. And that you know experience, uh, you know, gave me how to say the confidence. Uh, you know, to talk to people. You know, to. Uh, to share my passion, you know, to do a good job and earn my own money at an early age. And I think without that base, without that uh, time, uh, I, I don't think I'm I'm where I am today. But of course, I also thank China, you know, because you learn the hard way there. You know, if you're a new to business and uh, you still have things to learn, I think I was fortunate enough to, to make all my mistakes at a very uh, um, you know, early age, in the early 20s that put in me, uh, you know, uh, principles and procedures to help me, you know, in the future, not to make the similar mistakes. So I guess the early age experience at 14, 15 and the early 20s in China, I think, uh, made me uh, and made my personality.
0: In case you've just joined us, this is Influence here on Money FM eighty nine point three. We're getting to know watch collector and investor Ali Nael, who is opening uh, a watch museum here in Singapore in the next couple of days. It's called Future Grail Watch Museum. He's a very well known watch collector himself, and we'll get into his passion in just a while. Ali, share with us, um, you know, the the key milestones you mentioned: being fourteen, sitting down to a serious discussion with your dad about business. What are the other milestones? you'd say, in your career?
1: Mm, I think uh, the decision to move to Kuala Lumpur in 2006 to start an oil trading uh, business, I think also the ability at that time to uh, gain like an exclusive uh, contracts with uh, two international uh, big oil companies to represent them in Asia, that opened, uh, of course, the opportunity for me. So that's a huge, uh, I think, highlight of my career. Uh, but also, I think one of the best decisions I made in my life was to move to Singapore in 2010, the best place to, you know, to focus on business and uh, remove all distractions. You know, so it's a city where I believe uh, work ethics is extremely high. And from the places that I moved from China and Kuala Lumpur, I think it was uh, quite an impressive uh, upgrade in the in the pace and the speed that I needed to work in. You know, I needed to to have a fast paced uh, city that can cope with my own pace.
0: (laughs) Sounding very much like the go-getter that Singapore is filled with. (laughs) Tell us, you know, a a lot of people listening in are entrepreneurs themselves or founders of startups. What have been your biggest entrepreneurial lessons?
1: Um, I think to set a goal and uh, uh, footsteps uh, you know at uh, 20 years ago uh, I think I met a lot of fascinating people uh, you know in, in Macau and Taiwan and Hong Kong in Singapore etc that gave me principles you know in, in investing in, in doing business so that also helped me you know uh, like at the early age I said I don't want to deal with luck you know I can make my own luck so I need to work for it and uh, you know uh, study and learn about the trade that I'm doing uh, you know to be uh, to, to earn Market share over time and build a reputation. Small words, uh, words. 20 years ago, when I was uh, just a teenager, basically uh, in my early 20s, like uh, uh, your name is everything. You know, your word is gold. You know, these kind of things, very simple stuff, but actually uh, make, made a huge impact on me. So I decided that. Uh, uh, I remove all distractions, I f- focus on business, I focus on building a great name a reputable name for myself and every trade that I do.
0: Burnish your reputation, fantastic. You're well known as a specialist collector of uh, Patek Philip Watches, in particular vintage timepieces, and uh, you wrote about your passion in a book entitled My Dream Collection that was out in 2019. Help us understand when and how you find yourself interested in collecting timepieces.
1: It was 13 years ago, actually, here in Singapore, I met, uh, a, you know, a specialist, you know, that uh, gave me uh, an insight of uh, how the market works. Um, so I started building, uh, you know, a collection of modern pieces and independent watchmakers that used to come to Singapore and present their watches as a base, for, you know, for Asia or the start for Asia market. Um, and that from there, I start to fall in love with these pieces. Uh, I found refuge you know, in, in, in my stressful life you know, in watches, but also uh, I saw them as a tangible asset, uh, as an investment. So I was very, very interested to park my money into uh, you know, uh, an asset I can enjoy. Uh, I think uh, the combination of uh, passion, love, and an investment value put me uh, on that journey.
0: There's history involved and understanding of um, the, you know, where the watch has been. And uh, of course, there's beauty as well in appreciating these timepieces. Can you talk us through a significant piece that you have decided to add to your collection?
1: Oof, this is a tough question. I think uh, it's a, you know, we always say we have our own grail. Uh, and I think the future grail name, uh, you know, come from uh, also from the deep of uh, of our principles. You know, uh, our, all our businesses are uh, for collectors, by collectors. You know, this is our uh, slogan. Mm-hmm. And watches usually, you think you already got there, but there's a lot of fascinating discoveries uh, that we come Across uh, every now and then, of course, it's becoming much rarer today for the private market or the auction market to discover new, very significant, important pieces. But of course, pieces that disappeared from the market 20 years ago, 30 years ago, uh, you know, they come back suddenly to the market, you know, for uh, various reasons. But they have been in the market for decades, you know. So it's an opportunity for us to so always add to the collection, advise our uh, clients and uh, members to. You know to acquire these pieces, and that we are on a quest. Uh, you know to ensure that collectors know exactly what they're doing. But if I highlight significant pieces, I think the first one, the first series piece that I wanted to have, uh, you know, uh, over a decade ago was a thirty-nine seventy-four minute repeater with the case is made by Patek Philippe, but the case is made by Mister Hagman, whom I met a few times and have immense uh, respect to. So it was my first dream watch. Uh, My second dream watch was a 1518. Uh, which was also very difficult to acquire in, uh, in a good original condition. But as uh, 10 years forward, you know, doing uh, vintage watches, of course now I want pocket watches, I want uh, pieces of art, uh, uh, very special movements, uh, because I started to uh, know these pieces much better, know the complications. I started to know the watchmakers of the 1800s, of the 1900s, early ni- 1900s, that made significant contributions and uh, hundreds and thousands of patents you know, that that uh, actually brought uh, the watchmaking to what is it today you know so i started to understand these obscure and uh, not well known only in small circles in watchmaking world uh, they're known so i started to understand these things and we are on a quest to share this information also with our uh, collectors
0: fascinating i understand that for you investment and acquisition is not a primary motivation for building a collection so help us understand what motivates collectors like yourself
1: I think really is the passion uh, is the first uh, you know we really wake up in the morning thinking about watches you uh, know sleep thinking about watches <laughs> you know find it hard to find even our kids on the phone you know it's all watches <laughs> uh, so we're very serious about what we do actually we're dedicating our life to it it's uh, it's more more than uh, just a job for us uh, it's it's a complete uh, absolute uh, dedication, you know, to uh, to the watch watch's business, to the collecting community, but also to to be on a quest, uh, you know, to solve a lot of issues in the market uh, watch market that we want to bridge, you know, that gap, and we want to let collectors enjoy the hobby uh, rather than worrying about many stuff along the way. So we're more than just uh, creating businesses or, uh, uh, or or creating value. We're also uh, creating a path you know a clear path for for collectors
0: you've had roots in many parts of the world you mentioned china kuala lumpur so why start a watch museum here in singapore and why also it sounds like a very exclusive world of collectors why make this museum uh, open its doors to the public
1: yeah, I think first and foremost, uh, you know, we cannot keep these collections to ourselves. Uh, you know, this is uh, this is uh, a complete dedication. It's a decade in the making. I don't think it's, you know, uh, psychologically uh, good for me to keep them in boxes. I think it's important to showcase them, to learn about uh, every single piece more than what we know about today. And to give an opportunity for the community to explore, you know, another uh, segment in the market, I think it's uh, it's an educational quest, you know, to uh, to make sure that collectors can, uh, whether they're new collectors or seasoned collectors, they come and appreciate uh, the journey of 200 uh, years uh, of watchmaking. I think that brings an immense uh, value, you know, to the market and to collectors in town and uh, people passing by here. And I think it's a great thing for Singapore also to be the first uh, what a private watch museum in uh, in Asia the We're
0: diving deeper into Future Grail, a private watch museum that will open its doors in a couple of days here in Singapore. Ali, why offer fractionalized auctions? Can you give us a sense of how big this market is?
1: I think um, uh, people that uh, deal with us for many years, they know that uh, we are solving every business we do. We are solving a gap in the market, solving an issue in the market. I think uh, you, you highlighted that the collection is displayed in a museum uh, setup. We also want to extend this to collectors to have their own deposit boxes controlled by Malka Amit, our security partner, You know, to be able to deposit their watches, consolidate them from different cities, You know, because most of the people living in Singapore are actually international. And then we will uh, uh, take care of their collection. Uh, we will document them, uh, uh, make descriptions for it. Mm. Uh, that's why also Mr. Arnaud Delia joined us. You know, he's, uh, of course, the ex-director uh, and curator of the Patek Philippe Museum in Geneva. And he's the, actually one of the uh, first employees to establish the museum. Uh, so we're very pleased to have him on the team also to provide expertise to our clients. So if you if you can manage your collections in a, in a safe uh, uh, zone, we can also go the extra steps to help you liquidate these Collection in the future, and fractalization give us an opportunity to do that and approach a, a bigger uh, a crowd. You know, because in auctions, as well as a problem we face uh, today in the, in the big four auctions, let's say, uh, where very high-valued items in the millions come into auction, it's usually reserved, the bidding is reserved for the selected few in the world. Actually, you can count them on one hand or two hands, you know, yeah. that are uh, having the ability to bid on the millions of dollars in for, to acquire one piece. Uh, so we foresee in the future that the market uh, should uh, change, you know. Uh, watch market has been traditional for the long longest time, we're talking about hundreds of years, exactly the same way is being done. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we foresee the blockchain as uh, an opportunity for us to marry the new technology with the physical assets and provide the value to the market. And fractionalization facilitate this for very high valued items. And we would like collectors, uh, new collectors as well, to be able to acquire a piece of very, very important and significant pieces, because they usually you know don't come back in the market. Until twenty years, thirty years, you know. So it's a uh, very rare opportunity sometimes to acquire these extremely rare pieces, and we'd like more collectors to be able to participate. This so is fascinating. So we are eliminating, yeah, we are eliminating yeah. the barrier of entry. Barrier of entry.
0: You know, this is the intersection of technology and um, high-end watches, and also, you know, the investment world comes into play. So, what exactly do winners of these fractionalized auctions own? Do they essentially own a piece of the right? Uh, do they essentially own an NFT that can then be traded?
1: Correct. So basically it depends on the number of fraction for a specific watch. Uh, you know, the different owners, let's say 10 owners total uh, for a specific very high valued item. Uh, will have uh, their prorated uh, share in the watch, in the physical watch, which is deposited in Future Grail. They can come anytime, see the watch, you know, enjoy it in the facility, but they cannot actually take it out un- un- unless they own it. Um, so this also makes sure that we can govern the piece uh, and take uh, complete uh, cust- custodian and facilitate it to the collectors. So they can enjoy it in the facility and they will own their NFT share so they can travel the world with their full collateral, with the 3D scan of their watch, with the full description the paperwork and the study of these watches and they will have it uh, you know on the phone anytime they want to prove that they're the owner and that also provide a fast pace for people to trade to exchange ownership and facilitate uh, this barrier that exists today in the market um, and we are on a quest to uh you know uh, embrace uh, people that are, has been priced out of the market in the past.
0: So the blockchain is uh, very much a part of the whole equation it's a to yeah. allow this it's a proof to happen. of ownership. And um, it's a proof of ownership. For proof of ownership, yes. And in terms of the currency that's that you will accept, you're also accepting cryptocurrency for Correct. the fractionalized auctions and for the purchase of the watches in general.
1: Correct. So we'll have, of course, online auctions and we'll have fractionalized auctions, and you will have the ability, of course, if you know you pass the KYC. You know everything we do is MAS regulated and everything is by Singapore regulation. Um, so we'll have to KYC the clients, of course, paying in cryptocurrency as well. But we allow both uh, on-chain and off-chain payments.
0: Absolutely fascinating. Have you decided what sort of cryptocurrencies you're going to accept and what you're not?
1: Uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, stable coins will be be able to accept.
0: Absolutely fabulous. Well, thank you very much for this opportunity to get to know you, Ali. And uh, we look forward to walking through and experiencing Future Grail in person. When does the museum open its doors to the public?
1: at 26 uh, for a closed uh, event. Uh, but 27, 28, please go online uh, and uh, book your slot. For 27 and 28, is open to public. There's still some uh, slots available. So you go online and then uh, you book it. And we're looking forward to welcome you.
0: Thank you so much. Ali Nail, their CEO of Future Grail. This is MoneyFM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app.